Dear sports fans, elevate your game to the next level with a Toyota truck. Drive the crowd favorite Tacoma. This versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend. Choose the tailgating MVP, the Toyota Tundra. This is one vehicle that comes up clutch. Or ride in the adventurous 4Runner, a true champion on and off the road. Whichever truck you choose, you're getting a real winner. Come join the team of champions, Toyota Trucks. Visit Toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places. What's up, guys? The Avs just took down their fifth straight win, and there is still time for you to get in on this week's WGT Closest to the Whole Challenge. It's Thursday, so if you want to get your ticket for this week, you got to get in quick. All you have to do is go to FreeWGT.com to download the game. It's called World Golf Tour, and it's one of the best golf apps on the market right now. Once you've downloaded the game, go to the Closest to the Whole Challenge, This week's course is Edgewood Tahoe, hole number eight. That is the eighth hole in the challenge, the eighth one in order that you play. Just try and get it as close to the hole as you can. I've seen a couple of entries that are pretty close from this week already, so... Don't short it. You got to stick it pretty tight if you want to win this week's free DNVR t-shirt or a gift card to a local restaurant. But even if you can't get it that close, still enter because you can win the grand prize of abs tickets or a jersey of your choosing if you're out of state. So just to run it back really quick, free W freewgt.com to download closest to the whole challenge edgewood tahoe the eighth hole of the challenge then just take a screenshot of your score and send it into us at info at the dnvr.com or at us on twitter dnvr avalanche either way you'll be entered for this week and for the grand prize raffle when that, that comes around all right let's jump into the show and Cole gets another good righty and another right by Cole. A left by Cole this time. Tipped in front by Mika Rentinen. He shoots and scars. Nathan McKinnon. Cole J.T. Comfer. 877 goals now. Gabriel Landeskog. Collective hugs. 29 and 92. Save me by Grubauer. Move over, Picasso. This piece of art is by McKinnon, my goodness gracious. Welcome into the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. You can visit any one of their 17 Colorado locations and browse their entire inventory or check out online at mygreensolution.com to reserve your products for pickup. And you can use code DNVR20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm Nathan Rudolph. He's AJ Hayfley. The Avs sloppily survived the Sega Baga. Sega Baba? Sega Baba. There you go. Yeah. Struggling with the Sega Baba. It's a tough one to say, but the Avs survived it. They barely took down the win over the Canadians to make it five straight. Given it was a back-to-back, you take those, right, AJ? I mean, however you get two points on the back-to-back, you take them. Even had they blown the lead in regulation and I turned around and won in overtime, you don't care. You take those yep. points. Those are not points that you think that you're going to have a great shot at, at getting, Um Montreal did not play last night. The Avs did. The Avs traveled. 
perfect uh, perfect setup. That's exactly what you call a scheduled loss. Didn't matter. The Avs yeah. the Avs took advantage of a scheduled loss for Toronto the night before. Defied uh, defied the numbers on night two. Now they've won five in a row. You don't care how that. You don't care about that process in that game. You just care about that result. A lot of factors coming into this game. Let's kind of go through things chronologically here, since the one thing everyone is talking about happened fairly early in the game. Nikita Zadorov hits Kotkaniemi in the corner. Kotkaniemi kind of goes down awkwardly, seems to hit his head on the ice, and is taken out for the rest of the game. I've seen stances all over the board on this hit, so I'm curious where you land. It's a good hit. All right. I I would agree. I I think that's a perfectly clean hit in every sense of the word. So Yeah. It's a it's a good hit with a terrible result and all you can do is just feel awful for Kotkaniemi and hope that he gets he gets better. Hope that it's not too serious and hope that uh, he's back on the ice sooner than later. Yeah. Uh, it was a clean hit. Any of this idea that he slew foot him, um TSN tried to turn themselves into all kinds of knots. To, to push that narrative, and even they had to relent after they watched uh, the replay. You watch the replay in slow motion up close, and you'll see that the 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 knee, the leg, uh, he doesn't sweep the leg. You know, it's not Karate Kid. He, uh, he goes in, he hits him, and then he dumps him, and the fact that he landed on his head was unfortunate, not intentional, uh, yeah. and that's, you know, it's, it's otherwise a clean hit. It, it was a big... It was a big hit, uh, and like, what's Max Domi going to do about it? He can <laughs> he can barely reach Z's broken jaw, let alone actually do something to him. Yeah, I, we see that play happen multiple times a game, almost every game. It's just unfortunate that Kotkaniemi kind of got airborne and then tumbled a little bit out of control to land on his head. If if you want to have, if you want to nitpick the hit, um, it might've been a little bit late, um, but not by much. And uh, it, the, the follow through, you could definitely say was excessive from Zadorov where uh, he dumped him on the ice and that's, you know, he got, he got the body turned and the follow through is really what kept him that, that momentum going uh, where he landed on his head. But he wasn't trying to do it, um, and and I and I think that it was just a, one of those things. Like it was, it was an unfortunate result to an otherwise fine hit. Yeah, That's I, not one of the ones you're trying to legislate out of the game. Right. I don't. To be honest, I don't even think the follow through is excessive. I mean, that's that's a pretty regular thing. Yeah. But I I think that if you were to nitpick it enough, that's where you could find fault. And right. And even then you're saying, okay, well maybe you give him two minutes or something, but the injury is just kind of a freak thing. That was and, the and start like, of the game. Kakanyami is an awesome young player. Yeah. And of course, wish nothing but the best and yeah. hope he's fine. I don't, I don't want anybody to think that we're making any kind of light of it or anything like that. Definitely not. Um, he's a great young player only hoping for the best. So that kind of set the tone for this game as well as, from then on, it was quite physical going both ways. I mean, Montreal did not shy away from lining up abs when they could as well. The abs seemed to weather that storm pretty fine. I don't think that was a big issue, and that's because they got started off on the right foot as they get a goal from both Kale McCarr and Ryan Graves crashing the net. Kale McCarr's 
pretty good skater. That I could see coming as he drove the net. Ryan Graves reading the play and chipping in and getting that finish, that surprised me a little bit. It's all in. Yeah. Because McCarr starts the play, and Graves drives the net. McCarr's not back at the blue line when he does that. Yep. They're all in at that point. Uh, You know, they're like, okay, well, we're going to have two forwards playing back now, and however that goes, that's going to go. The the only way that you mitigate whatever risk there there is in that decision is by putting the puck in the net. That's exactly what Ryan Graves did. It's a super aggressive read, and it's the exact kind of thing that you don't see from the older uh, defensive defensemen. The the I mean, look at look at Ian Cole. Has Ian Cole ever done that? Has Ian Cole ever gone like below the top of the circles in the offensive zone? I don't. I'd be hard pressed to think of a time when that's happened. Only on that weird ass two one one he was on last year. Yeah, fair, okay. But that's about it, right? They just that style of player just doesn't pinch like that, and I mean with good reason because sure, like you're playing a safe defensive game and that's what you're being asked to do. But this is a perfect, a picture perfect example of why I like Ryan Graves. Over, over some of these other guys. Yep. And not, and again, like not sitting here advocating that Ryan Graves gets a four-year deal at four and a half million per or anything, but like this is what he does. The physical skills you can always complain about. You can always nitpick because he's got slow feet and, uh, you know, he's, he's not like gifted with an abundance of offensive ability, but he plays a super smart game. And this is where I have said a thousand times this season that his value is, is that when he makes aggressive decisions offensively, he separates himself from your classic defensive defenseman who is not interested in that, who either doesn't read the play and doesn't see that that's a possibility or just isn't interested in taking the chance is fine not taking the chance. He does. He has his last two goals in the last week both of them were him jumping into space, reading the play and seeing an opportunity and taking the chance and just trusting that his forwards have his back. Yep. Four points in the last five games. So it really has come on strong as well. I think his play has been pretty darn good since those five minors in four periods. That was about a little less than a month ago, but mm-hmm. since then, I mean, he has been a rock-solid defender for the Avs. Bounce back exactly the way that you wanted. Yep. It's exactly what you want out of that guy. Yeah. Zero complaints, certainly, to say the least. We did see a lot of lineup changes tonight for the Avs, getting Mark Barbario in. Some of that, I assume, is Callie Rosen has been fine, but not great. And then on a the back-to-back, you get some fresh legs. Then on the front side... Both Gabe Landeskog and Andre Burakovsky are healthy and back in the lineup and obviously made a huge difference, specifically Landeskog tonight. Yeah. That was a very it's, unconvincing, yeah. I'm 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 thinking that it I thought Landy was really good. Yes, I, I agree. I think especially after he scored his goal and they got up to nothing and he was like, okay, only smart decisions with the puck from now on. Mm-hmm. And that fell apart somewhat. We'll get to that. But through the first and second periods, I thought he was excellent with that. Yeah. Um, I, I have no complaints about Landy. 
I thought that he was really good. Uh, the the play where he scored the goal should have been a high sticking penalty, but it also was really difficult to see. Yeah. Um, and he did a great job. Just comes flying off the bench. Montreal is standing around uh, in their in their like typical like system, you know their defensive structure. And in the neutral zone, none of them are really moving their feet. And Landy is like, all right, well, I'm going to go grab the puck. And then I'm going to dust all you fools. And I'm going to go make Jeff Petrie feel bad about himself. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a weird setup for Montreal. As they pretty much gave him a lane up that side of the ice. And then he's Gabe Landeskog. So, of course, he just cuts to the middle and then beats Primo clean. So, yeah, and not a great goal for Primo. Uh, it Honestly, yeah. Primo didn't really start playing until after it was three, nothing. And then he played really well. Yeah. I, he was an interesting goalie. Obviously I'm sure there were first game jitters and all of that going on, but he struggled to manage freezing the puck. Like pucks springed off of his glove pretty regularly. Yeah. So, yeah, he looked like uh, the glove was, he looked like he was fighting in a little bit. Definitely. And it, and it was like a, there was there was like a, a shot. I don't remember who took it, but the early, early, early in the game where he thought he had gloved it and the puck bounced next to him. And he was like, oh, snap. Good indication of jitters. Yeah, he was kind of like, hang on a second here. Something's a little bit off, but it, it kind of made for an interesting parallel as Francois was given up quite a few rebounds tonight as well. He got away with it. A little bit more than Primo did, though, and off of some fantastic play of his own, to be fair. But mm-hmm. a very scrambly game in that sense in the offensive zone where there were a lot of pucks out in the open in and around the goal. A lot. They It was a very sloppy game in that area of the ice. Yep. Then we get to goal number three, and for the second game in the row, the Avs get a shorthanded goal that ends up being a game winner. This time, JT Comfort and Matt Calvert. We talked about Calvert the other day, too, that he just keeps doing it. He's just a machine right now in the Avs' bottom six. I mean, two games back, three points. Right. <laughs> that's, that's all you have to say, man, because you know he does everything else that he's going to do. But he just keeps producing, and they've needed all those points. At this rate, the Avs could legitimately have 10 guys that are 10 goal scorers by the end of the year. Maybe more. And yeah. to have to have the goal scoring on your team spread out that much. Now, of course, it's always going to end up being top-heavy with guys like McKinnon close to pacing for 50. Guys like Rantanen, who should be getting 25 or so 20 at least even with the injuries but when you can say all right we have a bunch of guys with 15 on our second line a bunch of guys with 10 on our third line every line is always a threat and that's what beats teams is depth i would say there's i mean there's a chance for 12 even um you know comfort only has three goals and we've seen that guy if he doesn't have a 10 goal season it feels like it would be a huge surprise and I mean, you know, Landis Cog's only got four. Uh, Belmore has four, but I think that offense will probably get a little more dangerous again once he's back to his regular line. Yeah, and we're starting to see it. You know, when Calvert with the, with Calvert back in in the lineup, you know, he's he's doing it. Calvert's got five goals of his own. Nieto's got five. Jost has five. Um, 
all those guys, you know, we're not even 30 games into the season. For those guys to all be at five, it's a reasonable expectation for all those guys to hit 10. If they don't hit 10 in the final 55, 50, 52 games of the season, 54, I think it's 54 now, um, five goals in 54 games, I think that's a reasonable expectation for every one of those guys. And seven for Comfer, seven goals in 54 games, it's not asking too much. Definitely doable. There's there's no doubt about that. And yeah, it, I you have the four that are already there. You expect Kale will probably get there. You know yeah. Ranton and then Landis Gog will, so that's seven. You, if Comfer gets there, that makes eight. If Calvert gets there, that makes nine. After that, it gets a little bit more murky. You know, can someone like Nieto get there or, or someone else find the 10 yeah. mark? I mean, Nieto, Jost, Belmar is then the conversation. Right. And like Jost, again, I mean, he's only shooting 10%. It's not, you yeah. know, it's not like he's riding some heater here. Uh, you know, and sure, three of them came in one game. So he only has two goals in the other 24 games that he's played. But. Well, he's also played the last six, seven games with NHL tweeners. Exactly. So it wouldn't be a surprise to see that uptick a bit for sure. Um, yeah, we can go ahead and, and take our first break there as it's time to have a drink because the Avs once again won. So I get to sip here and drink my Breckenridge beer. This time it's the Colorado core The Apple cider beer mix. I, it's very crisp, almost a little bit like a sweet cider to a certain extent. I really enjoy it. I'm sure. Actually, I think this one wasn't your favorite, if I remember correctly, AJ. Even though I, th- yeah. I always think you like it, but you're a strawberry sky man. You like your your other fruits. You won historically big cider guy, but the core isn't really as much of a cider as you would think. See. I feel like that's coming from a cider guy because as a beer guy, I think it's not really as much of a beer as you would think. I I think it's a very weird in between because it doesn't taste like a beer either. Yeah. So definitely a bit of an interesting one, something a little bit different if you're looking for that. Or you can always fall back on a classic like the Avalanche Amber Ale or something like that. But I'm sure you can find both and many other options at your local liquor store. So keep an eye out for Breckenridge Brew there. And also keep an eye on the Breckenridge event calendar on thednvr.com. I don't even know what our next event is. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I haven't looked in a second because the big one was that tailgate for the Broncos. So I'm sure the next one will be coming up soon in the next couple of weeks here. And we'll be drinking Breck Brew at it and just having a good time. Second period of the DNBR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm Rudo. He's AJ. Let's talk for a minute about Nathan McKinnon. I don't think he was the worst Av on the ice by any means, but he got Gabe Landeskog back. He got Andre Burakovsky back. The Avs were as healthy (laughs) as they've been in a long time, and it seemed a little bit like Nathan McKinnon was like, okay, I don't have to put the entire team on my back tonight. You know, it's a great point. I hadn't really thought of it in those terms. Uh, I had thought of it in terms of, this dude has been running at such an unbelievably high level for several weeks now that he's just out of gas. And that's, uh, I certainly believe that's a factor to it as well, especially in a back-to-back situation. Yeah. but And that that was it, is that, you know, last night, Toronto media, lots of hype, former yeah. teammates, you know, second time in a couple weeks, 
tons of storylines, tons of attention on that game. You know, they almost kind of snuck into Montreal in the middle of the night, uh, like the Grinch stole two points and then booked it out of town. And, you know, all the all the sad French Canadians and whatever the French Canadian or the, the French version of Whoville is don't even know what happened. And McKinnon was just like, all right, you guys go do that. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm going to nap back at the house. He's already, it, it looked like McKinnon was already in Boston. Just like, okay, I'm on to the next challenge. There's no superstar for me to beat in Montreal. Max Domi doesn't do it for me. So I'm going to, I'm going to mentally go to Boston and, and do the thing. I honestly, he just, he just looked like he wasn't totally there tonight, which given the way he's played all year long, I'm not I'm not even going to come close to criticizing him. Yeah, certainly has has earned a night off in an 82 game <laughs> season. But I guess his heart didn't grow three sizes that day. Is is what we're saying? It did not. But it, it was nice to see the Avalanche in the first half of this game look like a dominant team against a not so great team, even without McKinnon leading the way. And yeah, obviously that falls back onto Gabe Landeskog, but it's a top to bottom thing. Like we talked about the other night, especially in that second period, the Avs were up two nothing and then they made it three nothing and they outshot the Habs 14 to eight in the period. I think it got a little squirrely at the end of the second, obviously giving Mm -hmm. up the goal, but still you're looking at their fifth period in 25 hours or whatever it is. And they play like that. That's just quality hockey. And without Kadri. Yeah, that too. We hadn't even gotten to that, that Kadri yeah. has a lower body injury and was held out. Yeah, and that I think we really saw, we saw last year's Avs a little bit tonight. Yes. With, with some improvements, like some, you know, obvious, the obvious upgrades, right? Like Burakovsky, I thought was actually pretty solid tonight. Calvert, Belmar, Nachushkin, all that, you know, but last, last year they didn't really have much of a fourth line and they leaned heavily on, uh, the top line to get it done. And if that didn't happen, then somebody had to come up with something unlikely, like Matt Calvert having a two point night, including a game winning shorthanded goal. And it was, it was very last year esque in the way that they got out of town with this win, uh, leaning on the one line and having a second line where you're just like, well, there are guys on it. See, the thing I think that showcased to me is how important, Kadri has been to that second line. 100%, man. Totally agree. It was a great example to all the the one Toronto dude who talked about how Kadri was struggling should watch last night's game with the Avs and Maple Leafs and then watch tonight's game. And it doesn't matter what your expected goals for percentage is. Watch that and then you'll see the difference Nazem Kadri has made to the Avalanche. That's all you got to do. Even with Landis Gog and Burkowski back, just watch that. Just watch those two games. It's a perfect example. The stats are what the stats are, but it's just becoming more and more clear that Kadri is a perfect fit for that role on this team specifically, regardless of whether that's tasked to play defense or score goals or do whatever, hit people. It, it doesn't matter. Kadri mm-hmm. has been whatever the Avs needed him to be. Do it all. Do it all guy for them. Um, has He has been the perfect like fill-in-the-blank player. That's kind of what my takeaway was missing him in this game more mm-hmm. than anything else. And you're right. They had a they had a very, very good second period. It was very it was economical. It was 
methodical. It was um, impressive. You know, they they get up three nothing, and you're you're you know they don't. The big thing that sucks there is the late goal. Right, the Chushkin gets gets worked by Brendan Gallagher, which should not happen. Like Brendan Gallagher can fit inside Valerie Nachushkin's pocket. <laughs> it shouldn't. It should. He should not get f- bodied off the puck by Brendan Gallagher. And Brendan Gallagher is a very good player, and there's a reason that guy has multiple thirty goal seasons on his record. He's very good, but Nachushkin is built like Ivan Drago. And there's no reason that Ivan Drago should be getting his pocket picked by Mickey Mouse. And that's what happened right there. (laughs) That's an interesting mental image. Um, Look, it was not a great goal. All around. I mean, McCarr didn't play it well. Nachushkin didn't play it well. Francis gave up an ugly rebound. It just, just, just wasn't a very good goal all around. But... I can understand one like that, given the situation. Not great, obviously, as you said, because it's late. All the momentum switches into Montreal's favor, and they come mm-hmm. out guns blazing in the start of the third. So perfect setup. If if Colorado is down three nothing in a game, and there's under five minutes left in the period, and somebody says, "Well, how do they? What's the path to winning this game?" That's exactly it. You scored in the last five minutes. You go into the third period with the momentum, feeling good about yourself. It's a new game. You're only down two. And then you say, okay, we got to get one early in the third. They get one a minute and a half into the third. Like they played perfectly into the comeback's hands. And one, frustrating. But two, a testament that they still won because previous year's teams would not have. They, as soon as that power play goal got scored at the start of the third, they would have folded up shop. And the Avs did not do that. You look at the shot chart in that game. You look at how the it went back and forth. The Avs pushed most of the play in the third period, despite that, until the final five minutes of the game. Yep. And then it was just the Pavel Francois show after that. But Dude, that, that play coming what? down the ice. On the cross crease pass? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to get on anybody for that, and I'm just going to say... Max Domi was awesome from the defensive zone all the way down the ice. Max Domi looked like a totally different guy than the one we saw in Arizona. Yeah, uh, he's we'll just say, I think the Habs won that trade and and leave it at that. <laughs> when Colorado doesn't trade for Taylor Hall, they should look at that guy. Max Domi. Oh, my gosh. Like the Canadians have no reason to move him whatsoever. But, oh, my gosh, he would fit perfectly next to Nazem Kadri, both in attitude and in skill set. He would fit perfectly. You put, like, Landy next to those two? Oh, that's the mean line. Uh, that's, that's the line that gets somebody suspended in a playoff game because they just can't handle it. Yeah. Game five, and those dudes have been flapping their gums nonstop, and you're just like, I just can't, can't do this anymore. And Matt Calvert breaks his stick over one of their backs. Right. Like it's just, it's a perfect, it's the, it's the perfect setup for that would be, Oh, I'm mm -mm, I'm not even gonna talk about this. (laughs) Okay. So you talked about how 
the abs really did control a significant portion of this game, even mm-hmm. in the third period, despite those last five minutes. And that was something I noticed as well, even with Barbario in the lineup tonight over the past couple of games, I think the defense has been significantly more crisp. You're still seeing some turnovers of the puck and things like that, but a lot of the time I'll, that'll happen and I'll look and I'll be like, oh, it was Val Nachushkin who tried to rim it up the boards there. Or, oh, Kadri just weakly chipped it out and it didn't make it. So the defensemen themselves, I think, have really found something. The big mistakes are being limited now. Yeah, and if you look at uh, the heat map from tonight, the the negative is obviously that the brightest spot is right in front of Franzos. Well, that's because every time Franzos makes a save, he gets up a rebound and has to make two more. But. Well, and, and I would say, especially in the last few minutes there, they had, I mean, it was like two or three attempts were getting, were getting through to him um, in those last couple of minutes. And so, you know, I, I would imagine that went from like a yellow to a dark red in those last few minutes of the game. But if you look at the rest of it, it's a lot from all over the place and not in an area where you're all that concerned about it. Like you'll, you'll put, you're happy to, you're happy to let them shoot from there. You know, you're happy to let them shoot from outside, outside face-offs, the the face-off dots. You're happy to let them shoot from the point. Even Shea Weber. You're like, all right, man, take a, take a shot. I know that you're Shea Weber, but you ain't Shea Weber five years ago. Yeah, exactly. Shea Weber isn't even Shea Weber anymore, really. I mean, he can still zip it, but not quite like, oh God, get it out of the way. (laughs) Yeah, straight up. So really for a game that ended up being so close, not a lot of negatives beyond just the had clearly had nothing left at times in the third period. So I, yeah. you take it. Like I said, yeah. you, you got two points, man. Yeah. That's the point. The point is to get out of there with the win. And in a back to back, you don't sit around and nitpick process. You got the result. Yahtzee, get out of town, get on the airplane, Go to Boston, warm up, do whatever, hang out, whatever whatever they're going to do tomorrow on their off day. Go have fun. Go enjoy. Kale McCarr probably going to go back to UMass and be the big man on campus. No doubt about that. I think they'll beg him to come back if he wasn't planning on it. So I, I think that they're raising like his Hobie Baker banner or something this weekend. I didn't know Hobie Baker's got banners. I didn't either. That's, I was like, I, don't you just like put the trophy in a trophy case somewhere? Right, in that's what building? I figured. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I don't know. Pavel Francos, I called him not an NHL starter the other night, but boy, if he didn't look like one tonight, even with all the rebounds. So he gets my, uh, he gets my big dog award for the night. And if you're looking for the big dog when it comes to electricians – Piper Electric has been the Denver Metro has been serving the Denver Metro area even since 1983. Through a commitment to customer service and team performance, Piper Electric is the hometown electrical contractor you can trust. If you call 303-646-6765, they'll give you the DNVR hookup and save you 20% off of your next service call. There's no job that's too big or too small for Piper Electric. They have the top professionalism in the biz and and it doesn't matter if it's residential, commercial, or industrial work. Don't forget, you have to call 303-646-6765 to get 20% off that next service call. 
third period of the DNVR Avalanche podcast presented by The Green Solution. I'm still Rudo. He's still AJ. We are still talking about this Avs team that, AJ, does it feel to you like the Avs have won five games in a row? Because it doesn't feel like that to me. Absolutely, it does. It does? You got 100%. that? All right. I mean, it, it feels like I don't even know off the top of my head. I don't even know the last game that they lost. I, I guess that's a fair point. I, it just, it felt, it feels like it's just kind of been chugging along. Things have been a little too easy almost where the Avs just, yep. Yeah, okay. They won in and won. Okay. They, they go in and win again. Okay. This one was close, but they were up three, nothing in this game and they got out of there with the win. It almost just, it, it's almost lulling me to sleep, which is, hey, don't get me wrong. I will take the content easy wins instead of the the squirming in your seat ones kind of like this one was yep that this has been the outlier and not the norm you know because the the game last night you know in toronto they they were just a better team yeah, that like we talked about that last episode too. In Toronto, the feeling going into the third period tied one one was Abs are gonna win. It's fine. Yeah. It felt like uh oh, they'd played really well. Uh they're gonna do their thing and they finished it off. I mean, if you look just purely at uh the shot metrics and stuff, you probably don't feel that way. Because the Avs got up <coughs> excuse me, early on in the period and you know, Toronto had that late push again, but Grubauer was big. This is this is why you pay goaltenders, right? Like, yeah, you you let the offense go and score you a couple, score you two, three goals, and then you're golden. I I guess it's weird. What what separates that Toronto game where we felt like no, the Habs should win this to this one where the Habs score early in the third period and the rest of the third period, even when the Avs are controlling the play a turnover happens and, and everyone's kind of going, Oh boy, here we oh, go, man. With the, at the like the, tw- it was like 12, I think 12 minutes left when I looked at the clock and I was like, Oh my God, this game's never going to end. Yeah, exactly. Like, they are not, there's way too much time. I, I think the big difference is just momentum. You know, they went into the third period tied one, one, and it was like feeling pretty good about it. You know, anything could happen, but you're feeling pretty good about it. And then a good thing happens. They make a nice play. They make hay out of it. And then they continue to play well. And you got your starting goaltender, you're up 2-1, you're on the road against a team that's been having major identity issues lately. You feel like, hey, if if you're really a cup-contending team, if you're really one of the better teams, you should walk out with wins in these situations. And more often than not, they have. And tonight on the TSN broadcast, they even dropped the stat that when leading after 40 minutes... Uh, this season, the Avs are 12, we're 12 and one entering the third period tonight. And so even despite, you know, feeling like, oh boy, you know, after they got, after they made it three, two so early in the period, it's, it was still like, look, you'd still rather be in this position than Montreal's. No doubt about it. The Avs are now 10 games above 500 on the season. They have 18 wins that ties them with the blues for the most wins of any team in the Western conference. They have the most goals of any team in the Western Conference. They have the best goal differential of any team in the Western Conference. We talked about the Avs having the potential to be the best team in the Western Conference as like if they sealing out this year. Mm -hmm. 
and right now that's exactly who they are and it's it's impressive to watch it's it's just everything has fallen into place well, and, and tomorrow, or tomorrow, I'm sorry, on Saturday, they will play their 17th road game. And you compare that to 12 at home. So not a huge disparity, but a road-heavy start. And this is where that starts to shift a little bit. Not all the way yet, but a little bit in Colorado's favor. And we talked about it. If they can get through November, the schedule gets a little easier to start December. Uh, these were the two. If going into this road trip, you two and one. We'll take two and one. And they're at two and zero. Oh, so this trip is already a success. You beat Boston. You're feeling very good about yourself because next up, you look at their schedule in the next couple of weeks, man. What do you have? You have Calgary at home. You're feeling like the favorite in that game. You have Philadelphia at home. Philly's good, still feeling like the favorite. Jersey at home, great. Trade Taylor, trade for Taylor Hall after the first period. Make him walk across the and, – and do the Derek Broussard gear swap. You know, regardless, you're the favorite in that game. Then you go to St. Louis, definitely not the favorite in that game. To Chicago, favorite in that game. Home the next night against Carolina, eh, 50-50. Still, Maybe still, tough on the back-to-back. But exactly. Yeah. Like – on a normal in a normal situation, feeling like the better team, but because of the back to back, you're open to the idea that that could be a problem. Two nights later, Chicago comes back to your barn. Yeah, after what happened this last week, you're feeling like the favorite. You go to Vegas, which used to be a problem. You smoked them earlier this year, feeling like the favorite. Minnesota at home, despite their strong play, it took the goofiest goal ever to get to to beat them in Minnesota last time. But this game isn't in Minnesota. It's in Denver, feeling like the favorite. Dallas the next night on the 28th, probably not so much. And then Winnipeg at home on New Year's Eve in, in what could be a playoff preview, given how these two teams have played so far, you're feeling like the favorite. You're spending almost all of December feeling like you're the better team in most of these matchups coming in. And that's going to be and, – and a lot of home games – you know, they've still got five road games left this month, but they've got seven home games. You get out of Boston with a win, you could be running downhill. I mean, this that's a six-game winning streak that could easily turn into nine, ten, eleven. And then that's when you're really talking about being or at least in contention for the one seed in the West playoff wise. And and right now the one seed is St. Louis. And the Avs have two games in hand and are four points back. Basic math, two wins, they're right there. They're right there. And Arizona, because right now the Avs are tied with Arizona in with 38 points, but Arizona's got 30 games played. Edmonton's a point behind the Avs, 30 games played. The Avs at 28 games played have the games in hand advantage on almost everybody that matters. And it hasn't taken them 12 overtimes to do it either. <laughs> They're beating teams in regulation. Yeah, and they they made that distinction in the standings this year that uh, there's a tiebreaker in there for regulation wins. And the Avs lead the Western Conference. They're ahead of the Blues by two already. And that's with two games in hand. Now, I mean, again, you could always give those back. They could lose two games and they're sitting at 30 and 30, uh, but they'll still have the two-game lead right there. You know, regulation overtime wins, they're both at 18. 
but the Avs are up 15 to 13 with with regular in actual regulation wins. Yep. Games that they have not had to go into any kind of extra time uh to do and the Avs right now uh one of two western conference teams that have not participated in a shootout. Yeah, they all of their games have finished playing actual hockey. So Shit, they only two teams in the NHL that haven't done a shootout yet. LA is the only other one. If it were up to me, it'd be 31 teams that haven't done a shootout ever. But you know, you know, I'm, saying. I'm the fun hater. Don't don't infringe upon my territory. I have always hated the shootout. All right, this is my territory. I've always loved it. I've always thought the shootout was great, and it's it's thrilling. And I think that the switch to 3v3 made it perfect because it reduced the number of them a ton. The switch to 3v3 helped. I still think it's stupid. I still don't think there's anything wrong with ties. And if you have to finish the game, oh. just play more 3v3. I don't I don't disagree with a 10-minute 3v3, and I don't disagree with ties. But I also love the shootout, so I'm happy either way. Lucky you, I guess. Yeah. I think the shootout's dumb. I think it takes away the excitement with all the pauses. Not for me. Like, I mean, I don't. I don't know how you can feel the the drama of the shootout is just so obvious. And maybe so. Maybe this is it. Maybe it's, it's a so drama manufactured. Because yeah, you're over here. You're a fan of the OC and all these type of shows that I am not. <laughs> so maybe that's the difference right there. So because I enjoyed watching Marissa Cooper go through her life struggles, I like the shootout. I this is a leap, my man. <laughs> I'm, hey, all I'm saying is you like television dramas, right? All right. But I mean, you like moments. You, I mean, those are, you like the big moments in sports, you know, the three, two pitch in baseball, you know, like you like those, those yeah. that's, that's what you, that's what you of, watch them for. Of the course big I moments. like those when they're not manufactured, like it's in a Hollywood studio Yeah, and that's what a shootout feels like to me, except they had to get there. And then the shootout could be great because the team scores first and then stops the puck, and you're like, oh my gosh, our guy scores here and gets a stop, we win, It's and then it can flip. The other team scores, gets a stop, and just like that, in in, in five minutes of real time, it flips. It's I think it's great, man. But it's it, 100% manufactured, but it works. Right. It's getting there is great. I'm with you at that point, but then it's like you get to the finish line, and then both cars have to stop and wait a couple feet before the finish line while the cameras get set up and then you know they have to cut between shots 16 times and it's like oh who's gonna win we gotta take all these pauses for dramatic effects just play more three on three who cares I wonder if it's a Bednar thing that the Avs just don't do the shootout anymore just go ham and try and win it in OT straight up because I'm I'm looking They've had seven shootouts in the last two years. They've had 10 shootouts under Bednar. Is is that the secret to all the losses in overtime last year? It was they have to lose before it gets to the shootout because they can't win. I mean, I, I, I just they've participated in 10 shootouts. Yeah, that's in, in his entire career. That's. Five percent of games, or something, maybe yeah. less than that. It's super low, but I just thought that was interesting. Um, and you know, we we remember last year for all the shootout losses, but you know, there were nine his second year, four, all of four in 
the disaster of a season, the lost year. And 14 last year. A lot of OTLs under Bedner, but not shootouts. Huh. Curious. Only two OTLs this year. Yeah, with uh, I don't even remember. One of them I remember was Florida. Yeah, that was the the game they. Blew. Oh yeah, of course, the Landis Scott going goal in Pittsburgh. Yep, that was our first watch party. Hmm. Uh, yep, painful. Yeah, good times. <laughs> okay, well let's let's move on from this debate of my hatred for the. That shootout. was a weird black hole. Yeah, definitely a, a sidetrack there, but whenever I can rally against the shootout, I got to do it. Uh, the Avs have somehow essentially made it. I mean, the Kadri situation is what it is still developing on exactly how injured he is, but they have essentially made it out of the injury black hole that they were in. Mm -hmm. And they're 10 games above 500. I mean, they have set themselves up as good as they possibly could have. And we just went through their whole December schedule. The sky is the limit for this team right now. I'd, Unless you want to finish it off with something negative, I think that's as good a place to end as any. Is Everything is coming up avalanche. I would say the only reason for caution is that this is the road trip that they did last year where they hit the wall. They had the Eastern road trip the first week of December where they went to Detroit. Uh, and then they, what was it, Detroit, Pittsburgh, and then the Florida teams. They went two and two on that trip. Uh, came back and you were feeling good, and then the wheels fell off the bus totally randomly. So um, I would say, you know, still got to prove it, but this team has felt different at every turn. The only time that they felt like they were similar to previous year's teams was during that five-game losing streak, which they recovered from. And to date is... That that oh four and one stretch is like half their losses. It's more than no, I guess it's exactly half because they have eight in regulation and two in overtime. So yep, exactly half their losses was yeah. that one skid. Yeah, they have ten losses on the season. Five of them came all in a row when everybody thought that the world was over and that you know you were getting your same old abs nonsense and. And we were talking about, well, why do these things happen under Jared Bednar? And they've prevented them from happening since, despite the injuries. They had every reason in the world to have something like that happen again, and they just didn't. And I think that that is mighty impressive. And, you know, I I just feel like every time somebody pulls out the same old abs card, this team has gone out and proven that it's just not. It's just not. And even when they lose two in a row the, for the next time, or even three in a row the next time, they're not going to be the same old abs. This is a different team. This is a different team with a different mentality and a different heart and a different personality, a different makeup in, ge in general. And if there's one thing I would say, let's stop doing, you know, fan base media in general, it's holding the sins of the past against this current group. As you said, they still have to prove it, but, this does feel like a team where, of course, they're going to lose games. They're not going to win out. They'll probably lose two games in a row sometime in that not far future. But it's how they respond to that. And 
this it looks like a team it feels like a team it's built like a team to not let things spiral out of control for the first time under bednar yep so a lot of positives to talk about there we'll go ahead and wrap things up we do have a fun show planned for tomorrow morning friday morning just to let you guys know we will be live from the dnvr studio talking about the man the myth the legend Taylor Hall. I think it'll be a fun show. I think there will be a lot of interesting avenues taken. And at the end of all of that, you may be saying to yourself, what are these guys smoking? And if you're looking for something to smoke yourself, you can go to Mile High Green Cross. These guys offer an experience that you won't forget. Mile High Green Cross has award-winning products. Check out this year's Cannabis Cup-winning products when you head to their website. Mile High Green Cross offers a variety of CBD products, from edibles to concentrates to cartridges. They pride themselves on their customer service, and it shows. Every single time you pop in, you will receive one-on-one attention with one of their seasoned sales associates. Not to mention, they have everyday low prices on in-house products such as $99 pre-pack ounces and V3 hash oil bulk deals, five cartridges for 100 bucks. Mile High Green Cross offers out-the-door pricing. What they advertise is what you pay. No cash, no problem. Mile High Green Cross now accepts hyper What's even better is the amount of time you spend in the dispensary. On average, from the time you walk in to the time you walk out is only nine minutes. They are informative and speedy. Head downtown today and check out Mile High Green Cross. They are conveniently located on 9th and Broadway, and they also offer parking in the back. And don't forget to let them know DNVR sent you. That is it thank you as always for listening and as i said you will hear from us again tomorrow dear sports fans elevate your game to the next level with a toyota truck drive the crowd favorite tacoma this versatile playmaker is ready to own the weekend choose the tailgating mvp the toyota tundra this is one vehicle that comes up clutch or ride in the adventurous forerunner a true champion on and off the road whichever truck you choose you're getting a real winner come join the team of champions toyota trucks Visit toyota.com to learn more or check out your local Toyota dealership today. Toyota, let's go places.